are missing this morning and are not able to be with us for this morning. So that includes our music team leader. So you're stuck with me and my guitar this morning. <laughs> you're probably clapping a little too soon. <laughs> But thanks so much, Amber, for filling in on short notice for the prelude. Really appreciate that. <laughs> Start off by singing How Great Thou Art. If you want to look in your hymn books, it's hymn number four. Or you can, I think, kind of got the words on the, on the screen. And let's stand together to sing. things that God has made uh, and listen to the thunder and the power that God has displayed throughout the universe in the second and third verse and fourth verse talk about wandering through the forest glades and seeing the birds and hearing the birds and then the third verse talking about thinking about how God sent his son to die for us and the, the great thing that God does and how powerful that is and how awesome that is when I consider all that, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. It's a response to what God has done. So let's remember that. Verse 2. When through the woods and forest glades I How great thou art, 
Let's just praise the Lord. If you want to look in your hymn books, it's number 107. church family this morning. I also appreciated that uh, first hymn because uh, it gave, gave me a, a great memory of, of uh, sitting in the hunting blind uh, last year with Isaac and this year with Autumn and to have your children sit with you in the forest for hours and just listen to the birds and listen and see a little quail come along or a ptarmigan come along and a, you know squirrels running all around the trees and then see a deer come out and to be able to communicate to your children that, like, and, and, and to have your children ask those questions of, like, it's amazing that these little chickadees can survive when it's minus 40 out there. And then to be able to tell your children that, you know, what it says in the scriptures that, you know, when God looks at those little birds and he cares about them and he provides them for all that they need, how much more so does he care about you made in his image? And that's how much God loves us and he's, he provides for us. And uh, so just, just great memories uh, of being in the blind uh, with your children. And uh, so I appreciated that song this morning, Glenn. That's, uh, that's excellent. If you want to open your, uh, your bulletin, you'll see the call to worship. And uh, we'll read that scripture uh, collectively as a, as, a, as a church family out loud. And uh, so if you want to open your bulletin, it's found in Psalm 143. Uh, so if you open your bulletin, you'll see it there. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my plea. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. 
May your gracious spirit lead me forward on firm footing. Amen. Let's open our service with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you so much for the blessing it is to be able to be together as a church family this morning. Uh, we're, we're missing some folks, and we just pray, Lord, that you'd uh, you just guide and direct them. Watch over them, keep them safe, and uh, just bless them with this uh, with a great day today and help them to, to have some time to to focus on you and to read their Bibles and, and uh, to speak with you. Uh, so we just pray for those not able to be with us here today. We thank you that we are able to be here, and uh, we pray that what you see from us today, God, would honor and glorify yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning uh, will be from the book of Acts. As we continue in that uh, along through the book of Acts, it will be Acts chapter 25, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. So if you want to open your Bibles you'll see Acts 25, verses 1 through 12, and I'll be reading from the NASB version, because I feel like that's the most literal translation of the scriptures. You can have a theological discussion with me after church if you disagree. (laughs) Acts 25, verses 1 through 12. Festus then, having arrived in the province three days later, went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul, that he might have him brought to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea, and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, let the influential men among you go there with me, And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute him. After he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. And on the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. After Paul arrived, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. While Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. If then... I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death. I do not refuse to die. But if none of these things is true, of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus had had conferred with his counsel. He answered, You have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you shall go. Pastor Glenn. where we are in this morning and uh, we know it is your word to us and we know that you have something for us from this or else it wouldn't be in the Bible. 
So Lord, as we look at this, help me to speak it as it needs to be spoken, as you would want it spoken. Lord, we've all come here. We're at different spots in our own lives. We uh, have different things that we went through this past week, and we have different things we're going to be facing in the week ahead. But Lord, maybe just take a few moments right now to just put that all out of our heads and listen to what you're saying and listen to how it applies to each of us personally where we're at. And so, Lord, we leave this in your hands and ask your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. In many ways, life is about the decisions that we make. We all make many decisions every day. And those decisions will have some bearing on how our day is going to go. Now, granted, many of these decisions are quite minor. Uh, what clothes we're going to put on in the morning, what to eat for breakfast, what music we're going to listen to on the way to work, uh, those kind of things. We make them all the time without really thinking about it for more than a second or two. Well, I guess a lot of you girls and women probably take more than a few seconds to think about what you're going to wear in the morning. <laughs> if my experience with my ladies in my life have any bearing on that, that takes more than a second or two. But. But anyway, they don't have a huge effect on how we live our lives. But there are some decisions that are much more important. And the effects of those decisions are much more significant. Apparently one man put a post out on his social media. And uh, the post was, My wife and I have reached a very difficult decision. We have decided that we do not want children. So if anybody does, please send me your contact details. We can drop them off in the morning. <laughs> Big decision. <laughs> Marriage is a very important decision. It will affect the rest of your life. It's important then that you get married for the right reasons and you are that you know the person you're marrying quite well so you can make a wise decision not like this one older man who got married mainly because he was lonely and he didn't really know her that well and so it was not a great experience he, he later wrote a poem about it and put it to the tune of that familiar old song, Side by Side. Uh, it goes like this. We got married last Friday. My girl was right there beside me. Our friends were all gone. We were alone, side by side. We were so happily wed when she got ready for bed then. Her teeth and her hair she placed on a chair, <laughs> side by side. <laughs> one glass eye so tiny, <laughs> one hearing aid so small. <laughs> then she took one leg off <laughs> and placed it on the chair by the wall. <laughs> I stood there broken hearted. <laughs> Most of my girl had departed. <laughs> I slept on the chair. There was more of her there, <laughs> side by side. <laughs> so 
good to know something about the person you're going to marry. <laughs> decisions. Key decisions. Likely there aren't that many of them that come up in a person's lifetime, but at the same time, those decisions will affect not only the person, you, me, for the rest of our lives, but will also have a significant effect on others as well. As all of you know, I'm a big football fan, and uh, I've often heard coaches of different teams say, most games, most football games are decided by three or four key plays during that game. And the same with life. Our life, this course of our life, are probably comes down to three, four, five key decisions we make along the way that affects our entire lives. So that's where we're going with this sermon this morning. We're still in Acts. We're going through through the book of Acts, verse chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we come to chapter 25 today. Uh, it's a chapter that relates to us the next step in this story of the Apostle Paul who is on trial. Uh, he was on his way to Rome, but those plans kind of got put on hold. Humanly speaking, he was arrested in Jerusalem. He was placed in custody. The legal system back then was seemingly just as slow and inefficient as it is today. Paul was apprehended on the charge of defiling the temple by bringing a Gentile into the inner court. Um, that was back a couple chapters ago. So just as a quick reminder, uh, Paul had a hearing then before the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Jewish High Council, uh, that ended, that trial ended with the Sadducee and the Pharisee factions of the Sanhedrin fighting with each other. And so Paul then was taken to Caesarea, that was uh, kind of where the Roman governor of the area of Judea, that was where his headquarters were in Caesarea. So Paul was taken to Caesarea to be tried before Felix, who was the Roman governor of that area. So Paul's accusers came there to Caesarea, and Paul had a hearing before Felix, the Jewish leader, bringing charges along with their lawyer. We looked at that last week. Uh, all kinds of charges, which they could not prove. Uh, Felix, he knew Paul had done nothing wrong, certainly nothing worthy of death. But to stay in favor with the Jews, he delayed saying that he would decide the case when the Roman, Roman commander, Lysias, he's the one that had Paul apprehended and, and uh, was, was holding him. When he came to Caesarea, he would hear the case and he would decide the case. Um, but Lysias never did come. And it is likely he was never sent for. And Felix kept holding Paul as a favor to the Jews. Now, put yourself back in time. Uh, the Romans were ruling the world at this time. The Roman Empire was almost at its peak. Um, the Jews hated that. They hated being under Roman rule. The Jews were hard for the Romans to govern. And so the governor that were in charge of that area of the Roman Empire, the area of Judea, uh, the last thing they wanted was uh, riots and, and that kind of stuff breaking out. The emperor in Rome did not look kindly on that. So they tried to do all kinds of things to appease the Jews. So Felix, to do a favor to the Jews, he kept Paul in custody. So Paul stayed there in custody in Caesarea for two years. We saw that last week. Two years he's in custody there in Caesarea. Nothing being done. Except Felix was sent for Paul every now and then just to talk to him. 
We saw that last week. After two years, then Felix was succeeded by a man named Portius Festus as the Roman governor. So I don't know why that change was taking place. I didn't do a lot of research into that, whether it was his term was up or the emperor in Rome decided it was good to make a change. I don't know. But Felix was out. Festus was in. So that brings us today to chapter 5, the passage that uh, was read. Uh, we're not going to take the time to go through the entire text as we usually do. It's really just more of the same as we've been seeing for the last two chapters. I'm just going to take the time to point out a few things. Uh, first, this chapter points out that shortly after Festus became the governor, that he paid a visit to Jerusalem. Again, wanting to uh, gain favor with the Jews. And so there, while he's in Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders came to Festus and said, there's this guy, Paul, in custody back in Caesarea. Um, we would like you to bring him back to Jerusalem so we could lay our charges against him and the trial could be had. And the note is made there in our scriptures, you saw it as we read, that they fully intended to set an ambush and to kill Paul on the way before he ever got to Jerusalem. So that was the request of Festus. Festus told them that he was returning to Caesarea shortly and told them to send their representatives up to Caesarea with them to bring charges, and he would hear them there in Caesarea. So that happened. They pressed the charges. Uh, Paul declared his innocence. And Festus then, again, trying to win favor with the Jews, asked Paul if he would be willing to go back to Jerusalem with him and stand trial there in Jerusalem before his accusers. And Paul refused to do that. Verses 10 and 11 of chapter 25. Paul says, I'm standing now before Caesar's tribunal, which is where I should be tried. He said, I have done no wrong to the Jews. Festus, you know that very well. You can see that very clearly. I've done no wrong. And so Paul basically says there's no way that he was going to consent to be handed over to the Jews if they can't prove that he had done anything wrong or against them. So Paul appealed to Caesar. Now the second thing I want to bring out comes from that. That was a right that Paul had as a Roman citizen. He was a Roman citizen. We've seen that before. And we've seen a couple of times before that Paul used the rights that he had as a Roman citizen to stop Roman soldiers from, from flogging him. And here he appealed to his rights as a Roman citizen to have his case heard by Caesar himself. And that was a right that a Roman citizen had. So Paul made that choice to use those rights and appeal to Caesar. Festus then took a few moments to consult with his counsel, and then he concluded in verse 12, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you shall go. So Paul's appeal was granted, and preparations began. It would take a little while, but they began. Preparation began to send Paul to Caesar in Rome. The rest of this chapter um, is about a visit from King Agrippa to Festus. And Festus rehashing the whole thing before King Agrippa, obviously wanting some input from him. So that's the third thing I'd like to bring out. This is from the rest of the chapter, which we uh, didn't read this morning. Uh, who's King Agrippa? The way the Roman Empire was organized was really quite complicated. Uh, I don't fully understand it. Um, Festus was the governor of the Roman province of Judea, which included the cities of Caesarea and Jerusalem. Agrippa was a tetrarch. Uh, 
and it seems his territory was more to the north and east of Judea. Uh, but it seems like there was some overlap in those territories. He was granted the title of king by the Roman emperor. Whether his power was the same as the power of a governor, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Bernice was Agrippa's sister. There is suspicion, quite wide suspicion, that they lived together incestuously. I don't think that's ever been proven, but that there's a lot of suspicion of that as you read the secular history. Uh, Bernice had been married twice before this, and later she would marry again, but now was she was with her brother, uh, Herod Agrippa, or King Agrippa. And also, interestingly, she was the sister of Drusilla. Drusilla was Felix's wife, which we looked at last week. Uh, so it, it was complicated. <laughs> it was just complicated. At any rate, Agrippa comes to visit Festus with much pomp and style. It seemed like Agrippa kind of liked pomp and style. Uh, you read that fair bit about Felix. Uh, I'm sorry about uh, Agrippa. Agrippa was a Jew whose family had risen in favor and rank with the Roman emperor and, with, and was given high positions in the empire by the emperor because they had risen in favor with him. But he was a Jew. And so Festus took the advantage or took advantage of this visit to tell King Agrippa of the situation he was facing with this prisoner named Paul. And he thought he could get some Jewish perspective on why the Jewish leadership was so intent on killing Paul. And so Festus told Agrippa about Paul and how he had appealed to Caesar and how he was going to send him to Caesar, but really he had no idea what to write to Caesar regarding the charge against him. Festus had trouble figuring out exactly what the charges were against Paul and how to put it into writing so that Caesar could make sense of it. So he wanted help from Agrippa in, in doing that. So Agrippa became interested and said he'd like to hear him. That's what verse 22 says. And so arrangements were made for the next day for Paul to appear before Agrippa. And again, with much pomp and ceremony, Paul appeared before him. And that is where chapter 25 ends. So that's where we'll stop. And as I thought about... As I thought about this passage, this chapter 25, and I thought about what is the lesson for us from this chapter? It, in my mind, as I sorted that through, it really came down to one thing, and that is a key decision. A key decision. Verse 11, Paul made a decision to appeal to Caesar. That decision that Paul made proved to be a turning point. Not only in this ongoing saga of a trial, but also a turning point in Paul's life. And also a turning point in the spread of Christianity. It was a key decision that had far-reaching effects. So this lesson is about key decisions. That's what the sermon will be about this morning. Key decisions. Those decisions that come up every now and again that will affect you for the rest of your life. Those decisions are important. And we need to recognize that. So let's look at this passage in, in that light. It's good for us to be aware of the, the significance of the key decisions we are forced to make. And a study of the basic principles regarding these key decisions has come out here in this chapter will give us that awareness. 
So just two principles I'd like to bring out. Number one, know that key decisions have far-reaching effects. Know that key decisions have far-reaching effects. Obviously, the Apostle Paul felt kind of backed into a corner here as you read this, especially in context with the last two chapters. He kind of felt backed into a corner. He had now faced his accusers three times on three different hearings with similar outcomes each time. And now after this third hearing before Festus, he was asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and face the charges there again. So that would be a fourth time. And we're given the information there in verse 3 that the Jews intended to set an ambush along the way from Caesarea to Jerusalem and kill Paul before he even got to Jerusalem. Did Paul know about that? We're not told that Paul knew about that, but I'm sure he suspected it because they'd tried that before. As we saw back in chapter 23, they had tried this ambush thing before. At that point, the plot was spoiled, you remember, by Paul's nephew getting wind of it and informing Paul. So it seems to me that Paul would have been suspicious of this happening again. And likely that played a part in his decision to appeal to Caesar. So Paul came to this place after three hearings, a two-year wait in between the first two and the third, a two-year wait, and now they wanted to take him back to Jerusalem again for another trial with the threat of being killed on the way. He came to the place where he likely just fell back to into a corner and was thinking, you know, enough is enough. I appeal to Caesar. And that's what he did. But that decision by Paul was a key decision. That decision would affect the rest of his life from then on. And it would affect others. As we'll see in the rest of the book of Acts, as we go through it, this decision would bring him to Rome. That's where he wanted to go anyway. <laughs> but now he was going as a prisoner and not as a free man. And he would spend time in prison in Rome. But that prison he would face in Rome would be fairly loose. In fact, he was given a fair bit of freedom. He would meet some key people there in Rome. That would play a part in the continuing spread of Christianity. While in prison in Rome, Paul would write letters or epistles to the churches that he had founded on his previous missionary journeys. Three of those epistles were inspired by the Holy Spirit and thus they are included in the New Testament. We still read them today. And they, those epistles have helped guide the church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. While in Rome, Paul would meet a slave named Onesimus who had stolen from his master and run away from him. The master was Philemon, whom Paul had met earlier on one of his missionary journeys, who had become a Christian, become a good friend of Paul's. And as luck would have it, or as how God led it, Paul would run into this runaway slave Onesimus there in Rome and while he was in prison there. Paul would be able to lead Onesimus to the Lord and send him back to his master Philemon with a letter. 
explaining things to him. That letter is also in our New Testament. The letter of Philemon. It's not so much a letter or an epistle to a church, but this was a personal letter to his good friend Philemon. But it's in our Bibles, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that letter, which is in our Bibles, the book of Philemon, has been key over the years in bringing to light the sinfulness of the practice of slavery and bringing an end to it. So this decision of Paul's to appeal to Caesar had far-reaching effects. It affected the rest of Paul's life, and it affected many others as well, including us, who still read those epistles today. These key decisions that come up from time to time have far-reaching effects. What we decide in those moments, in those times, may well affect the rest of our lives and also other people in our lives. Like I said, there's likely not that many of them over the course of a person's lifetime. Perhaps only a handful. But it is so important in those times that we make a good decision. A decision that is guided by the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God. Our decisions need to be based on what the Bible has revealed to us about right and wrong and what is important and is not important in light of eternity. And along with that, it needs to be bathed in prayer for wisdom. Like it says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach and shall be given to him. So much prayer for wisdom. And then through that process, the Holy Spirit guides your mind and thoughts to the decision that you need to make. Sometimes you may not know just how key the decision is until later on. It may be some years down the road where you look back and, and you can see that decision I made back then has affected my entire course of life. Whether for the good or for the bad. So for all decisions, we need to remind ourselves of what the Bible teaches and get our minds in tune with what the Bible teaches. And then we need to pray for wisdom from God and then allow the Holy Spirit to take that and put it together in our minds so we can be guided into the right decision. Every one of us are going to face a few of these decisions in the course of a lifetime. Some of you already have. And you can look back and see how some key decisions have guided the rest of your life and set the course for your life. I'd like to just say a word to the teenagers who are here this morning. The rest of you can listen in, but <laughs> just a word to you teenagers. You teens... You are either in the place or soon will be approaching the place where you will be making some of these key decisions. Most often, not always, but most often, it is between the ages of 16 or 16 to 26 about. In those years, those 10 years, 
that some key decisions are going to be made that will set the course for the rest of your life. Some of you teens are there. You're in those years. Your career path, the college you go to, the job you get, the career that you launch yourself into, where you're going to settle down and start your career, who you're going to marry. All of those are key, key decisions that will have far-reaching effects. It'll affect you for the rest of your life. And it won't only affect you, it'll affect other people as well, those decisions that you make. So you teens who are here, you will be making in the next few years some of those key decisions. And I urge you teens, please make good decisions. <laughs> please make good decisions. Take the Bible seriously. Commit to living according to what it teaches. And make decisions that are consistent with what the Bible teaches about right and wrong, about what's important and what isn't important. And when those decisions are made, and they need to be made, pray to God for wisdom and let the Holy Spirit guide your thoughts. He'll bring to your mind the teachings of the Bible that are applicable. He'll show you how this applies to the decisions you need to make. Godly wisdom. Pray for that. And, and this applies to all, not just a team. This applies to all of us. If we follow these guidelines in all our decisions, we will make, be sure we make good decisions when these key decisions come up. So we need to know that key decisions have far-reaching effects. Secondly, we need to make sure key decisions, sorry, we need to make these key decisions with the proper motive. We need to make these key decisions with the proper motive. Getting back to Paul here in chapter 25 and his decision to appeal to Caesar, I'd like to pull a couple of things together as we consider this, this point. Paul was within his rights as a Roman citizen to appeal to Caesar. That is one of the rights he had as a Roman citizen. Now we can have some good discussions about how we as Christians use and appeal to the rights that our country has given us. There are many teachings in the Bible about how we should put others ahead of ourselves and how we should forego our rights for the good of others or for the further spread of the gospel in the kingdom of God. There's lots of teachings in the Bible about that. This St. Paul he taught that many times throughout. You read the epistles Paul wrote in the Bible. Many times he taught that. Oh, what are our rights even? <laughs> forget them for the good of others. and to, For the furtherance of your gospel. Put others first and forget about your rights and put others ahead of yourself. You see that throughout the scripture. Jesus taught us to live that way. But we see also here in Acts a few times where Paul did appeal and assist to his right, on his rights as a Roman citizen. So why did he at times appeal to those rights and at times he forego his rights? Comes down to motives. Jesus had called Paul, if you remember, to be his apostle to the Gentiles. 
And that calling had directed his life from then on. Everything he did was guided by obeying that calling to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out to the Gentile world was his guiding force. And so if that meant foregoing his rights so that the gospel could continue on without hindrance, that was what Paul did. If insisting on his rights would result in the further spread of the gospel, that's what Paul did. This was never a personal selfish thing for Paul. It was never, you can't do this to me, I have my rights. You can't do that, I, I'm entitled to my rights. No, it was never that with Paul. Never that at all. It was always the furtherance of the gospel. And so here in this decision to appeal to Caesar, it was about the gospel. Remember, he had received direction from the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem and after that to go to Rome. That was back in 19 verse 21. We looked at it back then. And then again, in 23 verse 11, Jesus himself had appeared to Paul in the night and assured him that he would be a witness for him in Rome just like he was in Jerusalem. So keep that in mind. Jesus had directed him to Rome. Jesus had assured him that he would go to Rome and preach the gospel there. So now when Festus asked if he'd be willing to go back to Jerusalem and stand trial there, Paul said no. He appealed to Caesar. He was likely very suspicious of the Jews and their motives and of a likely ambush being set out to kill him. He knew God was going to get him to Rome so he could preach the gospel there. So his decision to appeal to Caesar was a decision that he knew would get him to Rome. And that was consistent with what God had told him. And was consistent with his calling to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So for the furtherance of the gospel... Paul here appealed to his rights as a Roman citizen, and he appealed to Caesar. We need to remember this when it comes to making key decisions. Our motive is important. Our motive is important. It isn't all about us and what we want and what will get us further ahead personally. There are other things to consider. There are other people to consider. Remember that I said before, these key decisions have far-reaching effects. They don't affect just me. The decision I make in those key decision moments, they will affect others. And we need to remember that. So what should be our motives as we make these decisions? Well, first, we have the example of Paul here. What will for the furtherance of the gospel. What will be the effect of my decision on people hearing about Jesus? For me or from anyone else? Will it cause people to be able to hear better hear about Jesus or more chances to hear about Jesus? Be more open to Jesus? Or will it have the opposite effect? Will my decision have any bearing on how people respond to the gospel? Will it cause people to be more open? Or more impressed with the gospel and more attracted to Christianity? Or will it turn people away from Jesus? It can be summarized by keeping eternity and eternal values in mind. Life is more than just the years of physical life we have on planet Earth. There's an eternity to consider. 
in light of eternity, which is the best decision to make? If we don't take eternity into consideration, then obviously we will decide just to do what's best for us. What will get us ahead in the years we have on this earth and get us the good life for our times here. It will be selfish motives. But there is an eternity. There is life on the other side. We need to remember that and make our decisions in a way that will count for eternity. Unselfish motives. Motives that take others into consideration. Motives that care more about others hearing the gospel and accepting Jesus than just our own desires and comforts and I'm going to do whatever I want kind of attitude. <laughs> so key decisions need to be made with proper motives. It isn't all about me. It will affect others. We need to keep and make those decisions with eternal values in mind. The effect of our decisions on the gospel and on people's response to the gospel. I talked to the teens earlier. <laughs> now I'd like to talk to the parents and the grandparents. How do our decisions affect our kids? What will our decisions mean to them as they go forward in their lives? Will our decisions work to facilitate our kids becoming Christians and growing in their knowledge of God and growing strong in their walk with God? Or will it have the opposite effect of turning our kids away from God? Or our grandkids? We need to take that into consideration in this area of these key decisions. Eternal values need to outweigh temporal values. And that needs to be our motivation. So therefore we see from this passage this morning a couple of good basic principles regarding making these key decisions in life. They are, number one, know that key decisions have far-reaching effects. Number two, make those key decisions with the proper motive. If you are here this morning and facing one of these key decisions, these are a couple of things you need to keep in mind as you make that decision. Obviously, the most key decision anyone will face is a decision to believe in Jesus. <laughs> is Jesus who he claimed to be? If that's the case, if he is, then I need to make a choice. And this is the most key decision in all of life. Will I place my faith in Jesus or will I walk away and live my own life? That's a decision everybody needs to make on their own. And that's the most key decision. So if anyone is here this morning and have never made that choice to follow Jesus and to walk with him, that's a choice you need to make. The most significant choice you can make, just to place your faith in Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe you are the Savior that came to this world, God the Son, to die on the cross, to rise from the dead, to pay the penalty that I deserve for my sin. I believe that. I place my faith in you. Please forgive me for my sin. Come into my heart and be my Savior. If you've never done that, that's the first decision you need to make, the most key decision. So I encourage you to do that if you never have. And that is a decision that will have eternal consequences. Heaven or hell is on the line with that decision. 
So if you've never accepted Jesus, please do that today. Simple prayer. Jesus, I believe in you. I place my faith in you. Please forgive me. Please come into my heart and be my Savior. Simple prayer. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. And then as these other decisions come up, make those decisions in light of what we've seen here this morning. Like I said, I don't know where each of you are at this morning. That's between you and God. I'm going to give us a time of silence as I do every Sunday morning just for you and your own heart. Just to listen. What is God saying to me this morning? What's God's word from this to me personally this morning? I'll just give you a few moments to listen to what God is saying to you. Amen. So in response to that, let's uh, sing a couple of songs. Uh, hymns from our hymn book. The first one is just that chorus, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. It's 42 in your hymn books if you want to follow along in the hymn books. There's a really cool harmony part in that song, so if any of you want to sing that harmony part, that would be awesome. <laughs> let's stand and sing number 42. We'll sing the first two verses and then we'll try to sing that hallelujah part at the end after that. If my voice is still up to that higher part, we'll see. But let's stand and sing it together. Sing decided to follow Jesus 376 so let's make that our prayer as we uh, think about this key decisions key choices that we need to make let's make sure we follow Jesus as we make these choices